morning. I'm Sheila Cast. We're on the record. No Wi-Fi, no desks, no homework. The natural world can provide a complete education even without these familiar features. Deep in the woods, tasks like navigating a trail or building a fire are opportunities for kids to build confidence and determination. That's Eric Sorrell's goal. He was recently awarded an Open Society Institute Baltimore Community Fellowship, joining a cohort of social entrepreneurs working to make Baltimore a healthier and happier place. Over the next year and a half, OSI will give him $65,000 in stipends to develop Fernway Outdoors to teach wilderness skills and organize excursions into nature. Eric Sorrell, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on. How will you be introducing kids to the outdoors? I'll be introducing kids to the outdoors in a variety of different ways. Uh, we'll be doing different day trips to local parks here in Baltimore and in the surrounding areas. We'll occasionally do longer trips uh, a little bit further away from Baltimore, and I'm hoping at least to do two or three overnight camping trips every year. And who will the program be open to? Who, who will the kids be? So with our current iteration of Fernway Outdoors, we're targeting uh, Baltimore City students who are ages 10 and up. And so far, I've been able to establish a partnership with my, my own neighborhood school, North Bend Elementary Middle School. And most of my work so far has been focused on their students. So this will be, you'll be reaching out to kids via their schools? Yes, yeah, so I'll be connecting with schools, uh, inviting kids to join in the different excursions. I'm also experimenting with uh, different approaches of just after-school club type models, some out-of-school time, uh, community building, and uh, opportunities there to, to teach and learn different things, even at the schools and not just in the uh, adventures and the park trips and those kinds of things. So how often will you be taking students on field trips? So I'm hoping to at least have outings and excursions once a month for the students that participate in this club or in this program. And that'll give them an opportunity to not only experience the joys of nature, but also to apply some of the things that they might learn through our other interactions with the students. And I think you implied you see some of this activity in the city and some a little further afield? Yeah, absolutely. There's I think it's easy to overlook the fact that there are a lot of beautiful natural places here in Baltimore City. Things like uh, Lincoln Park is close to my side of town and I know uh, Gwynn's Falls Trail goes near there and there's that's just one ex of many examples of the access to nature that you can get right here in Baltimore. So I want to expose students here to the fact that you don't have to go that far to have these connections with the great outdoors. But at the same time, I do want to provide that opportunity to see, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a, a huge world outside of our own respective bubbles, wherever that may be, whether it's here in Baltimore or wherever else. And so to give them a chance to kind of get away from anything familiar to really uh, connect with something totally new. When did you fall in love with the outdoors? I fell in love with the outdoors in college. Thankfully, I, f I became really good friends with someone who had grown up going camping and backpacking. He was in Boy Scouts. He became an Eagle Scout. Uh, one of my good friends, his name's Daniel, and he took me on a couple of backpacking trips uh, while we were students together in college. And as many years ago as that was, I can still remember vividly 
just this the scenery I can remember I have vivid memories in my mind of some of the trails that we walked on and just this sense of adventure and excitement and peace that came from spending you know three days out in the wilderness um, and it was something that just grabbed me and I knew I would find a way to include this in my life in the years to come. Why do you think it's important for young people to learn these outdoor skills? Well, I think the outdoor skills, just like any any skill, is something that can help kids uh, boost their confidence, to grow in their character. Just the exposure to different things, I think, will help our kids grow. And I think all of us want to see our, our students and our communities get stronger and to grow more uh, effective in the things that they want to do and have more access to resources. So I think the outdoor skills are, are a lot like team sports. You know, some kids really learn a lot of life skills and character through playing a team sport through their school or rec leagues and that kind of thing. And not all students are um, as interested in athletics and more traditional athletics. So this is just another way to expose students to uh, new things to help them learn new things. And when they put that into practice, it, it really will build a sense of confidence and character. And tell me more about the opportunities you see in changing up the environment, getting out of dense neighborhoods and into nature. Yeah, the the research around spending more times in the outdoors is, it's outstanding. Like, I can't imagine there being any like negative impact for our kids to spend more time in the outdoors. It's something that is uh, overwhelmingly supported by numerous studies that kids who spend more time outside tend to uh, handle their emotions better. They tend to process their thoughts better. They're able to focus better at school. Uh, so many things are um, strengthened through simply spending time outdoors and seeing natural sites as opposed to what is becoming more and more the norm in uh, our school systems and in our, even our family lives of spending so much time indoors and especially on screens. And so uh, spending time outside is just a, a, a phenomenal benefit to all of us. This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast speaking with OSI Baltimore Community Fellow Eric Sorrell. He's using the fellowship as an opportunity to start Fernway Outdoors, an outdoor education program in West Baltimore. What barriers do you think stop people from connecting with the outdoors? Yeah, this is something that's become one of my passions since learning more about different neighborhoods in Baltimore. And now that I've spent several years living here, is that there's the same access does not exist for all people across our whole country. And you can see that in many ways. And I think outdoors is just one of the many, many um, examples of this. And so much of the outdoor industry in terms of even the retail and the access to uh, guides or tri trip leaders is geared toward very suburban, very affluent communities. And it's just easy to overlook the fact that all of us need this. This is something that will benefit everyone. And so one of the many barriers we face is the fact that a lot of the students and families in our community don't have access to the gear that they need to spend these times outdoors. Uh, outdoor gear can be very expensive. Um, and even just the simple things like clothes and shoes, these are all barriers to helping kids get outside more. In addition to that, uh, transportation can be an issue. It's 
it's one thing to have public transportation here in the city, but it, when you're when you look at doing things out uh, in the wilderness together, uh, getting families and kids outdoors into those places can also be a challenge. Well, let me pick up on on your point about gear can be expensive. I mean, even just for hiking, a pair of tennis shoes, it's it's okay to get dirty. Where will the gear for the activities you're planning come from? I'm, again, very fortunate to have begun much of this project already, and I've been able to partner with a couple of other groups. I was, I've received one grant uh, previously, which allowed me to purchase a substantial amount of camping gear, and I hope to continue to use the opportunities through OSI and the networks and the support of this foundation uh, to help uh, provide additional access to things, even, things like clothes and shoes and that sort of gear for uh, kids in our community. Hmm. How do you see the skills kids acquire in Fernway Outdoors translating to life outside of the club? This is something that I think is easy to miss. And it's more than just learning how to pitch a tent or start a fire, but it's it gives kids a sense of self-reliance and self-sufficiency. And it gives kids a sense of community as well, because while we do need to be responsible for ourselves, we can also learn how to uh, work well together and doing things on trips and doing things with groups. Um, and furthermore, I think all the skills that we learn together to be good stewards of nature in terms of the principles of leaving no trace and being prepared for anything you might face in the outdoors can easily translate to so much more of life. Um, one of my favorite examples of this is when you think about uh, how do you find clean drinking water while you're on a camping trip and, you, and I'm able to go through different things with students and teach them why you can't drink water out of that river and what ways can you make it safe to consume. And it, it's an easy segue into thinking about everything that we put into our body is important. If you put that river water into your body, there's going to be some pretty bad consequences. And if you put the treated water into your body, you're going to be fine. And the same thing goes to uh, the foods we eat at home, to the media that we consume, to whatever other thing uh, ties into that. And there's so many, this is one example of so many life principles that apply to spending time outdoors together. Okay, drinking river water, you have to be pretty confident that you have treated it adequately. Oh, and yeah, it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> I think so. It's a, to see the look on kids' faces when you take the water and you run it through the filter. And then you. I'm always confident enough to take the first sip and show kids, like, look, I'm fine. See, I drank the river water. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I understand where the outdoors in the title of your project comes from. But what's Fernway? I'm so glad you asked me that. Fernway comes from a German word, uh, Fernway. Uh, which has the same root word as what we would translate to homesickness, except huh. whereas homesickness refers to a longing to be back where you are familiar, Fernway refers to a longing to be somewhere that you've never been before. And I think that really just captures the sense of uh, adventure and growth that I'm hoping to instill in young people. Well, I wish you a great deal of luck with this project. Thanks. Thank you so much, Sheila. Eric Sorrell is a 2022 Open Society Institute Baltimore Community Fellow. The fellowship will fund his work to establish the outdoor education program Fernway Outdoors in West Baltimore. 
short break on the record. When we're back, an artist becomes a mentor. We hear about the project Gentleman's Graffiti. I'm Sheila Cass. Stay with us. Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. Think about the mentors in your life, the teachers, coaches, uncles and aunts, who gave you advice when you needed it. What difference did they make in your life? Christopher Johnson knows the power of having someone to look up to. He is on a mission to become a steady voice of support for young people in East Baltimore's Greenmount West and Barclay neighborhoods. Johnson is one of this year's Open Society Institute Baltimore Community Fellows. For almost a quarter century, OSI has offered fellowships to community advocates with creative ideas about serving under-resourced groups in the city. Over the next 18 months, Johnson will receive $65,000 to fund his leadership development and arts program, Gentlemen's Graffiti. Welcome to the show, Christopher. Thank you for having me. As an artist, you are known as... Cold piece, K-O-L-P-E-A-C-E. What does that signify? Cold piece stands for the kids only love piece. And it's, it's, a, it's a term of endearment. It's kind of like uh, a free range of, of voice, uh, kind of like a, a almost a superhero name. And Gentleman's Graffiti is your project. Why graffiti? What is it about this medium that you find powerful? Uh, graffiti is almost like a poetic uh, version of art, uh, very free, very free flowing. Um, graffiti is uh, is I use the term to uh, either over overly like boast uh, graffiti as far as like the uh, I guess the stereotypical way graffiti is looked at, um, but it's also to show that uh, the free range of, of youth um, and to have them feel good about the program versus it being gentlemen's art, uh, gentlemen's contemporary art, <laughs> gentlemen's sculptural program like. You know, those things sound so tight, um, so squared, and uh, we need something loose so the young people can feel encouraged. As myself, when I heard something fun, I wanted to be a part of it. Like the amusement parts, it's the same thing. Uh, and so this was a, the term to create um, that moment of freedom for them uh, as I picked the name and as the name started to develop. You're right. Gentlemen's does sound square. Um, yes. <laughs> You were planning to recruit African-American boys aged 10 to 16 for this initiative. What activities will you offer in Gentlemen's Graffiti? So I, I, mean, I have already, you know, almost uh, nine youth at this point. And out of these nine youth, um, during our time, I'm teaching them to uh, to gain a gentlemanship, tap into it a little bit more. Um, they are very bright and intelligent young men. Uh, it's just sometimes we can miss it uh, as we grow older. Um, so this gives us that opportunity to um, to tap into that a little bit more. Um, our activities based off of practice of art making. So as far as um, learning the structural uh, gesture drawings, um, learning sculptural sculptural practices, learning uh, mural making, learning the safeties, um, the ins and outs of graffiti making, what you should and should not graffiti, um, learning the standing conduct of uh, art, an artist's practice to have it and to uh, to know uh, what local artists is around you, know what being a artist and know what being a Black artist means and what knowing what culturally that means to stand for, um, not basing your art off of one cultural base, but opening your mind to a large standpoint, um, getting that point of field trip and learning what's outside of East Baltimore, um, learning what's new, learning what's going on, uh, taking field trips to museums, art galleries, all of those things built off of 
my personal relationship with artists and spaces and build it from that. Um, and so in the mix of all of those things, uh, these these young people, these young uh, black boys, you see me young black gentlemen at Greenmount West um, Community Center has been a, a pillar. And so they have shown up and shown and shown very bright things. And so it's my my initiative or my goal uh, to create a almost kind of a club and not necessarily a nonprofit or one of those programs. I'm mostly like a club to kind of create a space where they can come to and feel that that's emotional development support uh, from me. How do kids get connected to this program? So it's all about recruitment, especially uh, when if you're in the neighborhood. So if you're in the Greenmount uh, West neighborhood or in that East Baltimore neighborhood, um, you reach out to me or the uh, Greenmount West Community Center with a director, uh, Ms. Keisha Webster, very great director. I mean, she she definitely, um, definitely is an advocate for more artistic practice and this program. Uh, she encouraged me to apply for this fellowship along with uh, Paula Phillips at MICA Community Arts Program. They definitely steerheaded me uh, to this. And just to say that uh, in the support of uh, Black women, uh, they definitely um, spearheaded a lot of my journey during this process. Um, I'm very grateful for those two women uh, all, all along, my mother and my aunties and my grandmothers, and also my sister, bless her heart, um, you know, her passing, but uh, also to all of them who um, who have very bright personalities. And I don't ever take that for granted. Um, no matter how much my light shines, um, it's very bright, but it, it can't shine alone. So um, that's how they can reach out to me. <laughs> what stereotypes do people hold about graffiti and the people who create it? Graffiti is seen as a, a gorilla, on the, like a not on the guard type art. Uh, it's is, um, seen as messy, um, seen as disturbing spaces. Because it is a form of, I guess, like a rebellious type way towards uh, things that's natural. You know, people all obviously don't like it sometimes when they see it on monuments or things of that nature. Um, but it actually creates like this colorful coat um, that brightens up a lot of people's faces. Spaces, um, you know, a lot of people have, uh, they love murals, they love graffiti type murals um, because it is colorful. It brightens up parts of the city that's been dim light. You may see it as, as messy, but it's truly the building that rusts. And so when the building falls apart, the, the mural starts to fall apart. Um, and it's how we take care of our, our environment, our community. Uh, that's how that mural, that graffiti piece is, uh, is based off of it. So maybe if uh, folks see that, even in Baltimore, and see that as, as a thing, um, most people wouldn't get in uh, you know, fiascos or trouble when it comes to graffiti art. That's artist and 2022 OSI Baltimore Community Fellow Christopher Colpiece Johnson on the record on WIPR. I'm Sheila Cast. We're talking about his plans to start a leadership development and arts program for black boys and teens aged 10 to 16. The program is called Gentleman's Graffiti. You came to Baltimore to attend the Community Arts Graduate School at Maryland Institute College of Art. What what led you to work with young people in the city? So during the process, we had this moment of where we could do like a teaching residency. Um, during that time, we took field trips and everything around Baltimore to find different sites. Some of the sites came to the school to kind of talk to us. Um, we had a, a sign-in day, you know, where people could pick which site they wanted to go to. And personally, I didn't know where I wanted to go um, because I was having a rough time transitioning from South Carolina and in and, and, uh, and a southern area to Baltimore. Um, and so being in the city was new for me. And um, during that time, I kind of had some troubles with my 
my vehicle, uh, place to live in, whatever. Um, and so when my truck got towed, I was pretty upset. Um, and when I went, we had a field trip one day to the Greenmount area. Um, and so when I went to inside of Greenmount West, I felt more alive. I felt very good um, because of the the staff was all all black uh, staff, and it fit uh, my cultural uh, cultural just preferences. Looking on the inside out, and they were also gentle. They were nice, and I felt growth uh, even to this day. Every time you go inside, I felt growth. And so being there uh, transformed um, what it happened is to the day. And so that's how I ended up choosing. Uh, the Greenmont West uh, during that time and my teaching residency began uh, in the community arts program. Um, so I I definitely uh, enjoyed that time being in graduate school, uh, but also learning about the community and Greenmont was very uh, transformative. It taught me a lot because uh, during the pandemic time of the year, um, there were families who were losing houses, uh, didn't have food, uh, things were happening. And so um, volunteering and being outside, uh, delivering food, delivering art supplies, um, doing all those things to families and stuff like that. And this was at the beginning. So um, that was a very, um, you know, uh, intelligent thing to by the director to do um, for us to follow along. And so during that time, uh, it's it proving that community uh, can still stand strong, even though even during the darkest day. You create some of your art by spray painting in the moment before an audience. Talk about that process. Yeah, so I... Uh, the first thing I do is uh, when I go to a space, I kind of pick um, a face that represents uh, my cultural, uh, my culture, and uh, that's um, you know Black and African culture, Afro history, you know all of those things. As far as your, you know, your Billie Holiday's, your uh, Marvin Gaye's, your, um, you know, your uh, was he Martin Luther King's, your uh, your Malcolm X, um, but also you got to tap into the real people, the people of today. Um, and so I create these portraits um, and under you know. 10 minutes, eight to 10 minutes, um, using spray paint, using paint, using fire, using a samurai sword, using all of these different things in front of an audience of people, whether it's three, uh, 30 or 300, um, I create these portraits in front of uh, folks to encourage them to uh, open up their eyes and their minds to uh, a way of of uh, speaking uh, for the people, a point of liberation um, for black and, black faces, black and brown faces and people of color. And so it's my goal to continue to do that um, in, in uninhibited spaces, like as far as like museums, galleries, unlike that, because I've done it in the street for a minute, then I did it in theaters as well, and I have done it in galleries and museums before too. So to building that point to bring in community. Um, Cold Peace is is a hero's name, but it's also heroes of everybody. So it's it's a um, it's heroes of everybody who wants to feel that point of liberation, who goes through a struggle that wants to come out of that struggle and feel more liberated about themselves. Why is something like gentlemen's graffiti needed? I, I want to say it's needed for our, our youth as far as having something to do other than being out and about. A lot of times, <laughs> I, I would see youth, they would just be out on the, on the streets just chilling, um, not having nowhere to go, nowhere to like expand themselves, to have somewhere to like be creative, have a space to come and feel safe. Um, gentlemen's graffiti is a safe space, and so the need for it is is definite, and it's it's a, another skill that they can have, another chance for them to read for hours, uh, two or three hours, just to have a second of that release. Uh, you know, giving them, you know, nourishing them uh, more than just art, uh, food, it's conversations, um, entertainment, just different things to keep their minds clear of, uh, you know, some of the 
some of the negative stereotypical things in this world that um, that's already placed on youth before they even adults. Um, excuse me, black youth and black and brown youth before they even adult. These men, these young boys have to go through so much. Uh, some of them have to grow up older than who they are uh, some as mom sometimes. And so um, it's my ambition and goal to kind of take them out of that and just let them be kids for once um, and just to get a moment of being kids. Though they are kids outside of it sometimes, this space is to allow them to still be a kid but also learn the mannerism and the characteristic of going into their 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 version of their manhood when they get older. Thanks for telling us about Gentleman's Graffiti. I wish you a lot of luck with it. Thank you. Christopher Colpeace Johnson is an artist and OSI Baltimore Community Fellow and the founder of Gentleman's Graffiti. At the On the Record page at WIPR.org, we have more information about Johnson's art and his plans, as well as links to our other interviews with this year's class of OSI Fellows. I'm Sheila Cass. Glad you're with us on the record. Come back tomorrow.